just say Jesus. Jesus, we speak your name over our families. We speak your name over our marriages and our relationships. We speak the name of Jesus over our trials, our tribulations, our problems. We speak the name of Jesus over our children. We speak the name of Jesus over every situation, over every storm. We speak the name of Jesus. And we believe, we believe that Jesus is in control of all things. We believe that Jesus has everything in the palm of his hand. We can trust in the name of Jesus. And so as a church, we cry Jesus this morning. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus, amen. Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. Would you all just uh, show your love for my friend Garner McGregor for leading us this morning in worship? (laughs) I hired Garner McGregor uh, at Chick-fil-A almost two decades ago uh, to work for me, and he was the best fry guy I ever had. And uh, and his... uh, you know, his, uh, his family's been involved in ministry for a very long time, and I just so appreciate his heart and his gift and his, uh, his willingness to be here. Thank you so much, brother. I love you. Um, guys, Thursday night, Thursday night, if you, uh, if you missed last Thursday, man, you, you missed something really, really special. Uh, but man, praise the Lord, we're going to do it again. And, uh, First Thursday of every month, uh, we have our family uh, worship night, kid-focused family worship night. And man, the team did a, did a great job. The next one is on April the 1st, which is Holy Week. It's Thursday of Holy Week. And I can't think of a better thing for you to do before Easter, the Thursday before Easter, than to come and worship with your kids and worship with the family here at Springhouse. So mark your calendars. Be here uh, April 1st uh, for, that, for that exciting time uh, in the Lord. I do hear that there's going to be some slime. I hear something about slime, and the last time we did this, uh, I was not the lead pastor. And uh, if I recollect correctly, the lead pastor came up here, and he uh, strongly urged you to put the youth pastor's name on the ballot, and uh, and the youth pastor was uh, slimed. That was me, okay, uh, last time. And so I would just like to uh, use my privilege as lead pastor this time and say, uh, you know, I'm not actually going to say James. I think we need to slime Kim Walker. I, uh, I'm just saying, I, you know, I believe in leading by example. And, uh, and I think we need to slime the person who's putting the rest of us through this thing. Okay. So, uh, so have it as you, w- as you may. The ballots are there. Um, K-I-M-W-A-L-K-E-R. Check that box uh, and, we'll, and we'll get there. Guys, I'm excited about today. I'm going to tell you right now, uh, I got to get on my horse and ride because I've got a lot to share and I want you to hang with me, uh, hang with me today, okay? So uh, let's stand. We're going to get right into our scripture. Uh, we're going to read a scripture from the book of James and the book of Psalms, okay? Here we go. Let's read together. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, 
you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And a verse from Psalms, the righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from their all. Father, I thank you so much that you are our deliverer. I thank you, Lord, that you do care about every trial, every tribulation. Father, today, I thank you that your word is alive and active. I thank you that it is truly alive, Lord, and that it can speak to us in a variety of ways, God. I ask you, Lord, today that you would come before us, Father, that you let every word that's of Kevin fall to the ground and let your word stick and remain and change hearts for eternity. We love you today in Jesus' name. And everybody, said, amen. Amen. Well, we are on, uh, we are on a series called The Journey, and we are in week four of this series, and we've been talking about being a church that loves big. We want to be a church who loves big, lives truth, and is a healthy family. Loving big, living truth, and, and being a healthy family. Essential ingredients, one of the essential things in the foundation of being able to do those things is to build community. We talked about authentic community. We talked about not community just by name, but community that says, man, I'm, tra- I'm transparent with you. Uh, you're walking, I'm walking with you. You can speak into my life and I can speak into your life. That grows us and that stretches us. And we talked about getting into community. Last week, I posed a question and that question was, is your yes on the table? And many of us looked at that and we, we, we thought about that. We pondered that. And we looked at the areas in our life where our yes is on the table. Maybe our yes was on the table and things that it shouldn't have been. And maybe we needed to place the yes in places that it wasn't where it needed to be. And so we asked that question and we, and we, and we examined and we talked about that without faith, without faith, we end up saying yes to our plan and, and no to God's plan. Without faith, we end up saying yes to our plan and no to God's plan. And so we have our yes on the table. We're in community. We have yes, uh, our yes on the table. And here we are today. And today, the question that I want to ask you is what happens when the unexpected happens? Have you ever had an unexpected event happen in your life? Have you ever had something that you were charting course and you were going straight and you felt like everything was going well and all of a sudden, boom, that happens? this person enters the equation, right? A left turn happens. There's a rock in the middle of the road. There's a, there's something that happens that changes everything in the moment, right? And so what happens in our life when the unexpected happens? When unexpected things happen, it is the time in in our life where our our faith is truly tested, where our faith is is truly shaken. It is the time when we get tested. It's a time where what we say needs to match what we do. It's the time that when we walk forward and we walk uh, we walk out and we step out on things, it's the time that we look and say, is our foundation firm? It's the test that says, man, what's written on my shirt isn't just something that I put on my shirt and put on. It's actually the way that I live. Does the, does the talk match the walk? And so we no longer can hide behind just what we say. We, it, our faith goes into action. And let me tell you something. When we start to stretch and grow our faith, if we're going to be a people of faith, I'm going to tell you something. The devil does not like it. 
We do have, there is a real living, breathing enemy out there. And the devil does not like when I say I'm praying for Springhouse Church to increase our faith. The devil does not like it whenever you start to examine your life in the area of faith. The devil does not like it whenever you start to explore the things of God. The devil would like you to stay isolated alone and just be content where you are so he can do destructive things in your life. The Bible actually tells us in John 10, 10, that the enemy is out to kill. He is out to steal and he's out to destroy. He ultimately wants to destroy you. I read something this week that said you possess something of such great value, great value that the devil messes with you because a thief doesn't break into an empty house. You have value inside you. You have something inside you of substance that the devil does not want you to have. So the devil is out to kill. He's out to steal. He's out to destroy. But can I submit something to us this morning, church? Can I submit to you that not every hard thing that happens in your life is the devil? Not every hard thing that you have to step through and walk in your life is the devil. We are so conditioned to go about life thinking that our life is supposed to be hunky-dory, good, feeling good, all these things. And the minute we step into something that's a bit hard, that that tends to shake us or rattle us, we automatically assign it. Well, that must be that enemy. That must be that devil trying to get at me. Let me tell you something. Not everything in your life that is hard is the devil. When your boss writes you up because you're late to work, that's not the devil. That's you needing to be on time. When the police officer pulls you over for speeding, that's not the devil. That's you needing to slow down. When your teacher puts you in detention for cheating. That's not the devil. That's you need to study. When you're passed up for that promotion, that doesn't mean your boss is the devil. It means you didn't put in the work required to get the promotion. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Not every hard thing that we face and go through is the devil. Not everything is assigned to the enemy. Sometimes we walk through things because God is allowing us to walk through so that we can be stretched and we can grow and we can become more like Jesus. Who's arrived? Anybody? Nobody arrived here? Me either. So we are in this journey together to become more like Jesus. James 4, 8 tells us that if we will draw near to God, God will draw near to us. If we draw near to God, God will draw near to us. Now, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we talked about before the fall, God created Adam and Eve. And prior to the fall, Adam and Eve were fully known, and they were fully known by each other, and they were fully known by God. They were fully known because they were walking in the light. They were walking in the fullness of light. And what happened at the fall is man started to walk in darkness. Man started to walk in darkness. And so as we draw near to God and he draws near to us, what essentially is happening is that we are stepping closer to the light. Do you know what happens when you step close to the light? Things in your life begin to get exposed. Things in your walk that you maybe didn't know were there or you knew were there and you thought nobody could see. As you, as you draw close to God, do you know that light does not discriminate? Light does not discriminate. You step into the light, you're going to get exposed. And so here we are talking about stepping into community, having our yes on the table, fulfilling the purpose of God, increase our faith. And what we're asking you is to draw close to God.
And so as you draw close to God and he draws close to you, the light is going to illuminate your path. Here's the thing. You can't expect to draw near to a holy God and still hold on to unholy things. You can't expect to draw close to a holy God and still hold on to unholy things. We are on a journey together. You know, I know that love big, live truth, healthy family is a nice t-shirt. And it looks good. You put it on the right design, it will look good. But if you're actually going to walk out this journey with loving people, loving big, living truth, and being a healthy family, as you draw close to God, God is going to expose some things in your life. Church, I have to ask you something today. What happens when the unexpected happens? What happens when things are going fine, going great, and all of a sudden you stumble into something right in front of you? What's your recourse? What's your action? What do you do? Simultaneously to this, simultaneously, we have this little problem, uh, this little promise tucked away in John chapter 16. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. I'm telling you, this is an amen sermon, ser, ser, uh, sermon this morning. Can I get a yes? Okay. John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble. But that's not the end of the verse. Jesus says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You remember last week when I said, yes, 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 in the garden. Yes, 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 yes. No, don't do that. We do the same thing with this verse. In this world, you will have trouble. And we stop there. Oh, I'm going to be, woe is me. I'm going to have trouble. We don't remember that that's just one portion of the verse. The truth is, is that he says, take courage. I have overcome the world. So what do you do when you face trials? We all face trials. Some of you are facing a trial this morning. Some of you have walked in here in the middle of a storm and you mustered up enough faith, enough energy, enough confidence to come to church this morning. What happens when we face trials? The Bible says in the book of James chapter one, we read this earlier, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. In order for us to persevere and continue to move forward, we are going to be tested in our faith. And I am asking Spring House that the Lord increase the faith of this house. I want to see God do mighty things in our midst. I want to see him increase and enlarge your faith. Here's the thing. I believe that God is taking our church from a position of transition into a place of preparation. And I believe in that place of preparation, God is equipping us to be able to be ready for everything he's got in store for us. Part of that preparation process is moving aside the things that should not be there, be there and getting the things in line that are supposed to line up with his purposes and his plan for us. Are you ready to go? Are you ready to go? That's where, that's where we're going to go. So when is the last time you were joyful in the midst of your trial and storm? When was the last time you walked up and you said, well, I lost my job. Praise God. <laughs> the bank account's reading negative. Hallelujah. Right? That group of people, they're talking so bad about me. Shoulda, bada, handa, bada, bada, kia. Right? When was the last time? When was the last time you experienced joy, right? Joy in the midst of your trial and circumstances. Consider it pure joy. This is so opposite than the world. 
This is so opposite than, than being in the world. When you are in the kingdom, when the trials come, you say, come on, bring it on. I'm going to look more like Jesus when I get on the other side of this thing. Guys, I want to look more like Jesus. How about you? I want to look more like Jesus. How about you? So what we're really addressing here, friends, is this issue of faith versus doubt. When the unexpected happens, we are given a choice to have faith, step out in faith, believe in faith, or to step out, grab a hold to, and own doubt. Those are our options. Now, we learned last week that faith is the confidence of things hoped for and the assurance of things not seen. Well, doubt is a feeling of uncertainty, a feeling of uncertainty or a lack of conviction. So when things come along in your life and trials come along in your life, do they leave you feeling uncertain? Do they leave you feeling jarred and shaken? Or are you standing on a promise by faith of what the Lord said would be true? We have a choice in every situation. Are we going to trust with faith or are we going to doubt in the situation? So today I want to spend a substantial amount of time unpacking two very familiar passages of Scripture, two very uh, familiar stories, rather. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to focus really on the latter, but I have to use the former one in order to set this up uh, really, really well. And, uh, and these, these two uh, stories are the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on the water. Hopefully you know these stories. They're in the, they're in the gospels, the feeding of the 5,000 in every single gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Jesus walking on the water is in three of the gospels. It's in Matthew, Mark, and John. I don't know what Luke was doing. He may have been sleeping that day, but there, it's in the word. You can read about it. You can learn about it. Now I'm going to focus mostly in Matthew, but I'm going to be drawing some points from the other gospels as we go, as we go forward. So what I see in the relationship between the disciples and Jesus is Jesus has the position in the disciples' life as a teacher, as a teacher, teacher and student. And any good teacher that you know is always looking for teachable moments. Jesus was excellent. He was a pro at finding teachable moments for those he led. Those he led. He's still a pro at finding teachable moments. Amen? And so he is, he is finding teachable moments. And what I see in Scripture as I look at these disciples, when we get to the feeding of the 5,000, I want you to understand that the disciples, the disciples have witnessed, witnessed Jesus cast out a demon, raise somebody from the dead, cause the blind man to see, right? He has given them the authority to cast out demons. He has done all of these things. He's even calmed the storm on the boat. Remember the story where he was sleeping and they woke him up and he said, ye have little faith. He's done all of these things. They have witnessed him in all of his power and all of these miracles. Yet Jesus continues to find himself having to address this issue of doubt. Why is it that when Jesus moves in the miraculous in our life and does amazing things, it doesn't take more than 24 hours to step away from that thing and then doubt again? God is always moving. He's doing wonderful, incredible things. Why is it that we don't grab on by faith to the things that he's done as an example and continue to move forward and know when the next storm comes, I'm going to be a skip right through this because I know what he did the last time. But he is constantly in this position with the disciples, nudging them along as they increase in their faith. And so Jesus, John the Baptist, has just been beheaded. 
And Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus is retreating to a solitary place. And I believe he was probably going to mourn. He was going to, he was going to, to, to cry over uh, John the Baptist being beheaded. But the people were so overwhelmingly around him that they, they began to crowd around him and find where he is. And the Bible says that Jesus had compassion on the people and he began to heal the sick. He began to heal those who were around and he began to teach them and he began to minister to them and to a crowd that was about 5,000 strong. And late into the day, to the day, the disciples look around and they're like, man, these people are getting hungry. And we don't want them to cross over to being hangry, right? And so let's go to Jesus and tell him, hey, we got, these people got to eat. So, so Jesus, Jesus, why don't you send the people away so that they can go get something to eat. Do you know that Jesus is not in the business of sending people away? Jesus is in the business of an invitation to come. He's not in the business of sending people away. And so Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, no, don't send them away. You feed them. In fact, in, cha- in John, the count of John, he actually looks at Philip and he says, Philip, where are we gonna find enough bread to feed these people? And Philip's answer, if you really think about it, is kind of hilarious. If I have a million dollars in my hand and I look at James and I say, James, where are we going to get the money to feed everybody lunch today? And I have a million dollars in my hand. Philip is looking at the one who owns the cattle on the hill. And the, and the one who's sitting there saying, where are we going to find the bread? Philip has a moment where he can go by faith or he can buy into doubt. And Philip's answer is really hilarious. He says, it would take a half a year's wages for us to come up with enough money to feed all of these people. The Bible then says, listen to this. The Bible then says that Jesus asked this question intentionally because he wanted to test Philip because he knew what he was going to do. Jesus knew what he was about to do. And so He has the disciples gather the people. And in Mark, we learn that he sets the people in groups of 50 and 100. Now, that's an important detail because I want you to understand that Jesus uses his disciples to facilitate this miracle. Jesus uses his disciples to facilitate what's going. So their hands are touching, literally touching the miracle. You're literally touching hands on in the, in the, in the grind with it, hands on facilitating the miracle. If I'm the pastor and I'm here doing this, the staff is out providing the, providing the meal, providing the picnic. You understand what I'm saying to you? Now, Something interesting happens, okay? So, of course, they get the the boy comes, five uh, loaves of bread, two fish. Jesus blesses it. Everybody eats. Miracle of miracles of miracles. Crazy. Now, Jesus is intentional in everything he does. And so the next thing just completely blows my mind, and it tells me Jesus had a divine encounter in store for the disciples because the Bible tells us immediately Jesus makes the disciples get into the boat and go to the other side. Now, I want us to think about that for just a second. This is his team. This is his staff. And he's got 5,000 people. And the Bible says that Jesus dismisses the crowd himself. If we were at Bridgestone Arena, now I tell you, I know Bridgestone Arena holds more than 5,000 people, but just go with me. If we're at Bridgestone Arena, and I have the charge of dismissing all of those people from the arena, I want the staff, I need the elders, I need the deacons, I need the lay ministers, I need everybody because I need help dismissing that arena. We got to control traffic, we got to figure out where we're going to get out of here. No, he says, everybody who's working with me, come right here, come right here. I need you all to get in the boat, 
and go to the other side. I want you to get in the boat and go to the other side. Let me, so listen to me. They get in the boat, right? That's their yes. Are you with me? They are together. That's their community. Are you with me? So in their community, they have said yes, and they get in the boat and they start out to the other side. Jesus dismisses the crowd. And then it says that he goes up alone and he begins to pray. Now, I'm going to tell you something, uh, friends. Scripture does not say this, but I believe, I believe that when Jesus was up there praying, he was praying, God, let these guys get to the other side. Let these guys experience you. Let their faith be increased. I believe he was interceding on behalf of the people that were in the boat because guess what? The unexpected was about to happen. The unexpected was about to happen. Had they known a storm was on the horizon, they would have never set out. But the storm was nowhere in sight. And so they start to go listening to Jesus and they're going and they're singing and they're great. And all of a sudden, the boat starts to begin being buffeted by the waves. It should have only taken the boat several hours to get across the lake, but it took it all night long. Some of you get to wrestle through storms. All, anybody ever wrestle through a storm all night long? They're wrestling through this storm all night long. And the Bible tells us that Jesus, after, after praying between the hours of 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. at dawn, he begins to go out and he walks on the water. And if we look at the gospel of Mark, he says that Jesus sees the disciples straining at the oars straining at the oars as they're working through their storm. And Jesus is going to pass by. Let me tell you something. God will let you work your storm until you are in the ground dead if you, if you work that hard. Jesus will let you just continue to work at it, work at it, because he's not going to insert himself. He's not going to make himself get into your situation. You have to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. You have to call upon him to be saved. Some of us are working so hard in our own strength and we're getting weary and we're getting tired and we're wondering why God has put us here. And Jesus is saying, I'm right here. You just helped me facilitate a miracle. You just helped me pass out the bread. You have seen me cast out demons. I'm right here. I'm so much larger than the storm you're going through, but yet you still roll along, working those muscles, thinking you're doing something and you continue to go and God's saying, will you just call my name? Will you just believe? Will you just call out on my name and I will come into your storm and I will do the thing that I do best, which is take care of you. So they continue, Jesus continues, he's walking on the water and they see Jesus and they cry out in fear. They say, that's a ghost. That's a ghost. And they cry out in fear and immediately, because God is so gracious, Jesus says, take courage. It is I don't be afraid. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And the next thing we know, Peter responds and he says, Lord, if this is you, tell me to come walk on the water. Jesus said, come. And so he gets out and he steps out of the boat and he starts to walk on the water. Let me ask you a question. Why is it that the minute trouble and paradise comes, the minute we come upon the storm, the first thing we cry out to God is get me out of this community. Why is the first prayer that we pray is, Lord, get me out of the purpose with which you called. See, Jesus put Peter in the boat 
with the 12 in his community, and he gave him a purpose. You know what the purpose was? Get to the other side. See, you think the purpose of your life is to move a mountain. No, a lot of your times, the nudge is, can you just take the next step? Can you get to the other side? Can you walk in enough purpose? Can you trust me enough to get in the boat, disciples, and get to the other side? But no, 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 no. Jesus shows up on the scene and it's like, look, we got a storm here. Lord, if that's really you, get me out. I don't like, I don't like, I'm mad at John. I'm mad at, I'm mad at all these people. Get me out of the boat. Why is it that we ask God to pull us out of community and out of our purpose the minute the waves start, something starts happening? I love this illustration of community too. Because when you're in a true community with 12 or less people, let me tell you, there's no such thing as abandoning ship. We're all in this together. We got a road together. You got a problem with me. I got a problem with you. We got to figure this out. We don't get to just sit in the boat like this. We got to figure things out. We got to keep going because in order for us to get to the other side in the right way, We've got to do this thing community, this thing called community in a healthy way. So Peter gets out and he walks on the water. And then what happens? He sees the wind and he sees the waves. He sees the problem. The wind and the wave would have not been a problem had he stayed in the boat. And so he begins to sink outside of his community, outside of his purpose. He begins to sink. Now, let me tell you something. Some of you have children who Some of you have children who you have prayed over, who have been around the word, who have been around the Lord. And somewhere along the line, they stepped out of community. They stepped out of their purpose. And you are right now, oh, so believing for their salvation and for their lives. Let me tell you something. The seeds that you planted back here will manifest themselves down here because there's nothing like a death situation that will delineate between doubt and faith. There's nothing like stepping into a situation where things begin, you begin to sink, where you have a choice of doubt and faith. And let me tell you, Peter knew enough, there was no question when he started sinking, who was the Lord? There was no question. He didn't say, oh, I don't, are you a ghost? Lord, save me. Some of us are sinking and you need a Lord, save me moment. There are people that will have to step out. That's why you find people having to go sit in a jail cell before they get their life right with the Lord. That's why you have people that have to go through situations and storms that you don't understand why they are ruining their life. And it's you tell them and you tell them and you tell them. But sometimes people got to step out and take their own journey until they start sinking. And then the Lord will pull them up because they're going to say, Lord, save me. Why? Because you were praying for them back here. They once were in community. They once did have a purpose. And everything God does, man, a, a prayer of a righteous man availeth much. If you are in this place and you're believing for somebody, you keep pressing in. You keep praying for them because God has them right where, right where he wants them and he will change their lives. And so he sinks and he says, Lord, save me. And Jesus reaches down and he pulls them up out of the water and he says to him, come on out here, worship team. He says to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Let me ask you a question. Listen, let me ask you a question. Which would have been better? Would have it been better for Peter to have walked on the water all the way to Jesus? Or would it have been better if he never had to get out of the boat in the first place? May our faith increase that we don't need a miracle in our lives to point us to Jesus. You think you want a miracle? God will take you some, through some things where you need a miracle and you're going to wish that you didn't ask for the miracle. Let him increase our faith. Let him stretch our faith. I believe this whole thing about walking on the water was a setup. It was a setup for Jesus to say, what 
happens when the unexpected happens. Guys, what happens in your life when the unexpected happens? What happens in your life when the storm comes? I, hey, Kevin, I was so excited that week you talked about community. And yeah, man, I, I've got my yes on the table. And man, here we are. I'm, I'm rolling. This is great. This is wonderful. And we're all happy and we're all excited. And the church is going well. If we're going to move from a place of transition into preparation, then I would be remiss to let you know that you can't stay where you are. You have to understand that God is going to begin exposing things for good. He's going to begin to expose things and, and allow us the opportunity to work out things so that the promises he's given us will actually come to pass. If it's only supposed to take us a few hours to get from this side of the shore to the other side, why is it taking some of us years? Why is it taking, why is the journey taking so long? Can we get to a place? I need someone in my community that when I'm there and I'm just run, working that oar, Justin looks up and says, wait, Kevin, wait. That looks like Jesus. I need somebody who's in my corner that when I'm just going at it because I don't understand the story, I need James to say, wait, wait, wait. I think I hear, I think I hear Jesus. When you're in community, it stands to reason that you're going to hear him and you're going to see him much more, much more quickly than when you're on your own. And so what does Jesus do with Peter? <laughs> this is great. Listen, you have a little faith. Why did you doubt? Guess what he does? He takes Peter and he puts him right back into community and he puts him on the other side. God's purpose in your life is going to prevail, whether it takes 10 years, three years, one year. Jesus did not call Peter to walk on the water. That was Peter's idea. Many are the plans of the man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will prevail. And so he went out there and he walked on that water and Jesus said, man, have faith. Now let's get back in our community because that's what I told you to do. And let's fulfill the purpose that I sent you on. Guys, what happens when the unexpected happens? We read a verse from the book of Psalms this morning and I want to read the message version of this to you because I think some of you may need this today. Is anyone crying for help? God is listening, ready to rescue you. If your heart is broken, you'll find God right there. If you're kicked in the gut, he'll help you catch your breath. Disciples so often get into trouble. Still, God is there every single time. Would you guys stand with me this morning? So this morning, we're going to ask if you are a staff member or elder here at Springhouse, if you would make your way to the back. And as Garner leads us in worship, there are some of you that need to agree with somebody in prayer. Maybe you're in the middle of the storm. Maybe you're on the boat. You can't stand the people you're in the boat with. Maybe you haven't said yes to community because you were hurt back when. Maybe the last time you said yes to God, you were saying, no, I'm not doing that again because this happened. Maybe you're riding up on a, on a thing where you're like, man, the unexpected is right drawing near. Maybe you're in the middle of the storm. Maybe you're believing for someone else. But wherever you are today, if you need to agree with a brother or sister in prayer, we're going to encourage you to go to the back and they will pray with you as we worship the Lord and we proclaim Jesus over our situations and our lives. Let's worship.